Space, the final frontier. These are the episodes of the podcast Caustic Soda. It's continuing mission to explore strange new facts, to seek out news stories and new terrible puns, to boldly make you throw up in your mouth a little. That's what that what's uh, pitch shifter is for, right? Uh-huh. Okay. I, yeah, let's hope so. Auto tune that. Joke. That, or we're just gonna go into some improv jazz Star Trek theme. Yeah. Is that what's happening? Skiddly wop. I can open the door. You can open the door. Door opening sound. That's oh yeah, that, that was good. Oh, like I enjoyed that. that. So I want to start this off by saying we called it space disasters, and then when we started researching, we went, "Wow, we've got a lot of stuff here." And some of it's kind of the history of disasters of trying to go to space, and some of it is just space is dangerous. And then we had a big argument about which one we should actually do. And it was all over the uh, through the internet, so yeah. there were a lot of emoticons, a lot That's of right. angry face emoticons. If you've seen me argue in the internet, I'm good at it. <laughs> but I lost. So we are actually doing a Space Hazards episode. Space Hazards. Plus we have uh, Dr. Rob, who, who has knows? some space medicine uh, background. Exactly. Space medicine. I, I'm not saying I was right and I lost. <laughs> I'm just saying I lost. <laughs> so what are we doing? Uh, space hazards. Space hazards. Space perils. The, the potential space disasters. Mm-hmm. The disasters that are going to happen when we get out there. And as I'm sure you all know, uh, space comes from the Latin spa- spatium, 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 spatium mm-hmm. which means area or distance of unknown origin. All right. Well, okay. Latin. But apart from that. But where did they get it from? Yeah. yeah. We don't know. You and go back far enough and you have to find some caveman just going, and making a sound. Exactly. And somebody going, was that space? Did he say space? <laughs> I think we should say yes, space. Is in your mind, about. it's perfect English. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, it hadn't... Pref- well, because in vocals. my mind, I'm watching a movie. Right. And they would translate it for oh, me. Oh, I see. Yet another reason for a time machine. Yeah. And astrophobia is the fear of stars or celestial space. And kinophobia is the fear of voids or empty spaces. All right. Kinophobia. Okay. Like Kino. literally the fear of nothing. Isn't that just the fear of that like uh, that gambling thing that you do sometimes in bars? Kinophobia. Kino? No. Yeah, kinophobia. Yeah. I'm afraid of losing that game. No, it's a, it's a real danger actually. <laughs> a, I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Odds are uh, highly likely danger. Uh-huh. So who's ready for a pop quiz? Uh, oh wow, let's start it off. Okay. All right. Uh, Joe, what is the Kessler syndrome? Kessler syndrome. Oh, actually, I know what this is. You know the Kessler syndrome? I think well, I then th- let's see what, Ke- I, yeah. what Kevin thinks it is first. Uh, it's when you pop up in the back of other people's photos. <laughs> the Kessler syndrome? Yeah, that's a joke for Vancouver Canucks fans, so uh, it oh, probably okay. fell on a lot of deaf ears <laughs> Including out there me. in podcast land. Well, now there's a YouTube video I'm going to have to embed in this post. Nice. Yeah. So what do you think it is, Joe? Uh, isn't Kessler the guy who realized that we were leaving a lot of space junk up there and the longer we're going to space, the more dangerous it's going to get? That is correct. In 1978, NASA employee Donald Kessler proposed that as the number of satellites rose, so would the risk of accidental collisions. The resulting debris would take out further satellites, sparking a chain reaction that would swiftly encircle the planet with a vast cloud of debris. Uh, orbits would then become un- unusable. Because anything placed up there would be sandblasted into smithereens, exacerbating the problem. Luckily, it's debris, not debris. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh-uh. 
It passes through ordinary matter. Torin thinks it's hilarious when he does this, and he thinks I'm it's not hilar- the only one, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it, yes, it. yes. My homies. Three, three people. Five dollars for everyone. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're eventually, ba- access to space would be lost under this scenario. So we're basically creating a little asteroid field around our own planet, mm-hmm. made yeah. up of satellites and poop bags from astronauts and other things. Yeah. That tiny little screw heads. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's all traveling at about 26,000 miles an hour. And the United States Air Force keeps constant high-resolution radars on the International Space Station. It actually has thrusters so it can avoid debris. So, well, why don't we just go up there with, like, a giant space net and scoop up all the, uh, you know, all well, the junk We'll get, we'll get to that. Okay. We're gonna, we actually have a segment in the news about that. Yeah. All right. But you might know what this is, Dr. Rob. What is a Tycho knot? A Chinese astronaut. That is exactly correct. T A I K O. You think it would be someone who plays taiko drums? You think it would be be, Japanese? I thought it'd be T Y C H O not, and it would be a guy with a fake metal nose going into space. Uh huh. Huh? Taiko (laughs) bra. That is a deep cut, Joe. That's a deep cut. Well, I thought I could also go Penny Arcade. How's that for old references, Sneaky Dragon? (laughs) 17th century. It is a hybrid of the Chinese term Taikong, which means space, and of course Greek not, meaning sailor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, mm-hmm. why was there a short-lived push for women astronauts in the late 1950s? A short-lived push for women astronauts, uh, I would say to make space seem more inviting. <laughs> Throw some ladies up there. Who doesn't want to <laughs> go to space? Space isn't sexy oh, yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. Man, we can't find anybody volunteering to be an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, well, Quick, let's... add boobs. No. No? That's not the answer? What do you think, Joe? Uh, did they want to make a space baby? Is that what happened? They were like, we don't know what happened if we made a baby in space. Let's find a woman astronaut and experiment. Dr. Rob, agree or disagree? Disagree. I suspect essentially it comes down to the fact that they have less mass. In fact, oh. studies had shown they could cope with isolation better than men. Oh, oh really? Whether or not those studies ended up being true, I don't know. <laughs> Turns out a mixed-gender crew works best now based on extensive... ISS and mere data. Sure. Oh. But sexism won the day is what you're saying? Sex no, anti sexism. I don't know what I don't know. No, because no women astronauts were went into space. It was a short lived push. The second person yeah. ever in space was a female cosmonaut. There you go. Take that. Sexism. Well, Joe, what temperature is outer space? Oh wow. You know, we did research on this and uh, I still don't know. Uh, everybody thinks it's cold, but it uh, depends on where you are, because of course there's space around the sun, and that's in, very hot. Indeed, it does depend uh, on where I you are. Think, but let's say in I the very coldest part of it, right, like in between if, stars that are really far apart. If I recall from our end of the universe episode, it's around six Kelvin oh, average. Not exactly. Three. Three. Kelvin, I believe. You're very close. Yeah. If we put a thermometer in darkest space with absolutely nothing around, it would first have to cool off. This might take a very, very long time. But once it cooled off, it would read 2.7 Kelvin. 2.7. Very close. That's That's negative 270 Celsius or negative 454 Fahrenheit. So that is very cold. Yeah. It's very cold. Fahrenheit minus 454. I am a human furnace, though. uh, It would be warmer for you. It would be. I, I, uh, I radiate heat at a... You know, at a nuclear You're level. warming up the space right now. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But that would make you cold. That's literally what becoming cold is, is radiating heat. 
Oh. Right? You radiate heat, and then it's, you don't have heat anymore. It's not hotter for you. It's hotter for the astronaut next to you. That's I could right. be the next, like, non-planet Pluto. So if you want to survive space, hug Kevin. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Oh, public service announcement. Uh, we do call him Hugasaurus. <laughs> Kevin, what is the Armstrong limit? The Armstrong limit? Uh, that's the extent to which you can stretch that toy before it snaps <laughs> in half. Stretch Armstrong? Yeah, that's, the stretch that's, Armstrong. That's the reference limit. you're making? Yeah. Another, another nice old reference? Yeah. <laughs> Joe, do you know what it is? Uh, I was going to go with the toy thing as well, but uh, I'm going to say the Armstrong limit is uh, that's how high up you can go without being shielded. Maybe that's how high Neil Armstrong went. Before. Hmm, Dr. Rob? It's the height, and it's about 40,000 feet, at which water begins to boil at body temperature. That is exactly correct. Wow. Oh. And why is it named Armstrong? Named after Harry George Armstrong, who oh. founded the U.S. Air Force's Department of Space Medicine in 1947. He was the first to recognize this phenomenon, which occurs at an altitude beyond which humans absolutely cannot survive in an unpressurized environment. And it's 40,000 feet. 12 miles? Does that mm. make sense? So it's, okay. So I was kind of close, saying it's the limit at which you 19,000 mm. meters? I'm bad at math, so. Just, uh, sure. All right, last one. Okay. I'm going to go straight to Dr. Rob on this one. What is the Garn scale? Oh, um, Senator Garn. Oh, he knows this one. Uh, <laughs> he, was, uh, he was the first United States senator uh, launched into orbit on the, on the shuttle. It's a good start. Oh, and on the shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he came back. But he developed uh, the most severe case of space motion sickness on record. He was completely incapacitated and vomiting for the entire trip. <laughs> and so the, he scored one garn yes. of disability <laughs> from space motion sickness. Yes, according to space oceanographer Robert E. Stevenson, Jake Garn represents well, the maximum level of space sickness that, that anyone can ever obtain. And so the <laughs> mark of being totally sick and totally incompetent is one Garn. Most guys will get maybe to a tenth of a Garn, if, if that high. <laughs> so, can we back up? Space oceanographer? Yeah, I know. I know. That's what I thought. But it's a thing. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Rob, maybe you can... Uh, let, what exactly causes space sickness? Well... On Earth, uh, your central uh, balance apparatus in your ear um, senses gravity. It's got what are called otoliths, which have little calcium... Otoliths? Yeah, little tiny stones on the ends of hairs and that, that always know where gravity is. Okay. So you can sense rotation, translation, and where down is. Um, in space, you lose that. So there's... A, the, the constant sense of free fall, and the otoliths are floating back and forth. And it's very similar to when you drink a lot of alcohol. Alcohol slightly dilutes the semicircular canal fluid, uh -huh. and the hairs float freely. So space uh -huh. drunkenness is And that gives you the sense of intoxication. So I'm, I'm drunk on microgravity. Drunk on yeah. microgravity. So this Garn guy just felt like he was... He didn't, have the stones. he didn't have the ear stones to go into space. Oh, yeah. huh? Except he didn't have the buzz. Uh -uh. Just the barfing. <laughs> oh, boo. Well, let's move on to uh, one of my favorite space hazards, the freezing void. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Mm -hmm. The widely held misconception that space is in itself cold. Uh, we hear speculative fiction art writers blather about the cold depths of space or the freezing void. If you get thrown into space, you're going to freeze straight away, assuming you don't explode. That's in pop culture, of course. All right. 
But if Hollywood has taught me anything. Exactly. But space does not work that way. In brief, there are two reasons why. Firstly, near a star, like, say, in Earth orbit, space is very well heated, like a sunny day on Earth, only without that pesky atmosphere to block any heat. So yeah. if you're, like, in your spacesuit, yeah. um, in orbit, around Earth, uh, it's actually not that cold? Like, it's, it's certainly not 2.7 Kelvin. Well, the spa- yeah, the spacesuit is designed to protect you from the, okay. the, the, but say you the just temperature had, extremes of space. Say you just had a breathing apparatus and no suit. How warm are we talking? Are we talking bikini warm? We're talking like, those like girls really okay. horrible uh, sunburn. Yeah, you know right. how, how you stand out in the sun and the sun hits you and you feel it and it's very warm. Yeah. Well, it's having to go through kilometers of air uh-huh. that has absorbed a lot of that energy already before it hits you. Okay. When you're up in space, there's no air buffering it. You just get <sighs> the sun shining directly on you. So you got the really, coldest really space. Hot. You got yep. the blazing hot sun. Yep. Perfect equilibrium, right? No. <laughs> because right. space acts like a thermos bottle. Mm-hmm. It that's keeps the, you that's insulated. That's the second reason. Yeah. I don't get that reference. Well, in deep space where the temperature is in fact very low, it is not cold in the usual sense. You won't lose heat very quickly because a vacuum is a very good insulator. You know how oh. a thermos has a vacuum inside yeah. it and okay. so it keeps the temperature the same way, the same, uh, well, it leaks out very slowly. Right. Okay. I got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So a person or any other object left in space for a prolonged period of time would cool down to the temperature of the surrounding space. But this prolonged period of time would require required for the human body to freeze in a total dark vacuum is measured in hundreds of hours, typically. Oh, all right. But of course, closer to a star, an object in space is likely to gain more heat. Yeah. Then it loses. All right. So that's cold space. That's so, one hazard. So none of this like flying out of an airlock and instantly like crystallizing. No. 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 All right. And explosive decompression. We're going to get around to that. Let's talk about that now. All right. Let's do it. Let's talk about human exposure to vacuum to start off with. This is the Dyson effect. The Dyson effect? Are you making things up now? Oh, that's a vacuum company. Oh, I see. Yeah. I thought you were talking Sad. about the Dyson sphere. <laughs> this section sponsored by Dyson? Oh, I hope. So could you survive in uh, a vacuum? Uh, yes, if I hold my breath. Oh, bad answer. Oh. <laughs> Actually, very oh. bad answer. So Kevin some would deg- die first. <laughs> some degree of consciousness will probably be retained for 9 to 11 seconds. In, a rap- in rapid sequence thereafter, paralysis will be followed by generalized convulsions and paralysis once again. During this time, water vapor will form rapidly in the soft tissues and somewhat less rapidly in the venous blood. That means vein blood, right? Yes, right. Am I right about that? Thank you, doctor. Um, vein blood is kind of my favorite blood. As opposed to the exterior blood? Yeah, exactly. What other kind of blood do we have? Arterial? Arterial. There you go. Right. Thank you. This evolution of water vapor will cause marked swelling of the body to perhaps twice its normal volume, unless it is restrained by a pressure suit. Oh, so you actually like, you, you blow up like that kid in uh, the Willy Wonka movie. Yes, that's right. right. <laughs> but not quite like Total Recall. Uh, uh? Venous pressure will meet or exceed arterial pressure within one minute. There will be virtually no effective circulation of blood at that time. Right. This continual evaporation of water will cool the mouth and nose to near freezing temperatures. The remainder of the body will also become cooled, but more slowly, as discussed. Scientists in 1966 reported occasional deaths of animals due to fibrillation of the heart during the first minute of exposure to near vacuum conditions. 
Ordinarily, however, survival was the rule if recompression occurred within about 90 seconds. So if you're totally decompressed, right. if you had 90 seconds to recompress, you'd make it. So technically, my answer was correct, because you would survive for 90 seconds no matter what. Sure. Yes. Right? <laughs> didn't say pat, not, uh, 91 seconds. That's true. Right. I should have qualified uh-huh. the question, I guess. Yeah. Once heart action ceased, death was inevitable despite attempts at resuscitation. Now, the decompression event itself can have disastrous effects if the person being decompressed makes the mistake of trying to hold his breath. This will will result in rupturing of the lungs with almost certainly fatal results. There's a good reason it is called explosive decompression. Now, would your blood boil, Dr. Rob? Blood doesn't boil because it's constrained within the elastic venous and arterial tissue. So a lot of gas will be evolved from it's uh, being dissolved in fluid but you'll just be full of bubbles but uh, blood itself doesn't boil so you become like one of those aero chocolate bars that's not a bad way of putting it. i love the bubbles yeah nom, 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 nom. i'm gonna guess those bubbles are bad though <laughs> they're pretty would, bad would yeah that, that's, you, that's the bends except yeah, in your whole body right. all at once wow all right and as we discussed you would not freeze because space is a very good insulator but uh, if you were exposed to space without a spacesuit, your skin would feel slightly cool. Okay. Slightly cool due to water evaporating off your skin. Right. But then you would expand to twice your normal size. And yeah. then you'd have a different <laughs> sensation entirely. <laughs> you would. Now, has anyone survived vacuum exposure in real life? Well, the answer is yes. There was a spacesuit test accident in 1966 where this fellow lost consciousness in about 15 seconds. Is the word accident in air quotes? Like, was this one of those, like, hey, you know, I wonder what's going to happen to that guy if his suit malfunctions? Yes, it was the evil scientist behind the, behind the scenes. I've yeah. actually got the video for that. So, kinda, whoop. whoop. Just kind of flips over. That was him uh, 15 seconds after his uh, hose that was connected to the back of his spacesuit got came, disconnected. Came undone, yeah. That's bad news. He's come undone. When pressure was restored after about 30 seconds of exposure, he regained consciousness with no apparent injury sustained. Although he said his ears ached a bit afterwards because yeah. of the pressure change. One imagines they might. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they repressurized really quickly. They had a guy in a semi-pressurized room next to it so that he could get in quicker in case of an emergency. I think three minutes later, they had it fully repressurized yep. and he was fine. Yeah. And there was also another case, uh, I don't have the name of the person or the date, but there was an autopsy of a victim of a slightly longer explosive decompression incident. Immediately following rac- rapid decompression, it was noted that he began to cough moderately. Very shortly after this, he was seen to lose consciousness. He remained deeply cyanotic. What does that mean? Blue. Blue. Oh, I thought it meant he all of a sudden got superpowers. Cyanotic? Yeah, he got those cyanotic powers, right? <laughs> I was using my cyanotics to levitate things with the power of my mind. Uh-huh. That would be a good... Uh, I, wish, I wish there was a YouTube video of that. Turning blue is sort of a superpower. Oh, yeah, you know, Nightcrawler, hmm? Beast, hmm? Mystique. Unfortunately, you lose useful consciousness. No. Yeah, You're the dud superhero. Mm. They throw you at the villain. That's a defect. <laughs> <laughs> and he remained totally unresponsive and flaccid during the two to three minutes to repressurize the altitude chamber down to ground level. They checked his penis while he was unconscious. That is really uncool. I mean, yeah. it's for science, I guess. You know, the, his whole body, flaccidity. Yeah. Unless you were making a joke. I was making and I spoiled it. I'm sorry. 
Be you doctors. I'm not that sorry. It's fine. I, that's the thing. I don't mind the joke being corrected with the real science. Uh-huh. The conclusion of the autopsy report was that the major pathologic changes as outlined above are consistent with asphyxia. So that was the, the so he, cause he of death. He choked. He choked. I have some suit punctures oh, let's that, that are kind of interesting. Okay. Not, not total deaths or anything like that, but there was a flight experiment where a metal bar punctured a glove and uh, the astronaut actually bled into space and at the same time his coagulating blood sealed the opening. Oh, nice job. Way to go, blood. <laughs> yes, thank, <laughs> right. thank you, blood. And that was probably Venus blood, right? My favorite kind of blood. That very likely would have been Pulling Venus blood. double duty. And he actually didn't even notice. He was so hopped on adrenaline, he didn't even notice. He thought there was just, it was just some glove chafing. All oh, hopped up right. on space balls. Yeah, hopped up on literal space balls. <laughs> Do you want, should we talk about um, space farts? You want to take the lead on this one? <laughs> well, I, I, I could speak somewhat to uh, personal experience. When I was in the Air Force, we did explosive <laughs> decompression training. Tell us about that. Um, well, they put you in a great big chamber and after tr- training beforehand, and they expose you to partial decompression so that you actually experience a bit of hypoxia so you know what your hypoxia Wait, symptoms are. Wait, what is hypoxia? Are. That's insufficient oxygen to maintain life. Okay, and how does that feel? What would that feel like? Well, I don't have hypoxia symptoms, so I would be screwed. Oh, you don't present hypoxia symptoms? Yeah, I would just go completely unconscious. I don't get hypoxia symptoms. What would I'm be, fine. What would be some of the off. symptoms? Well, um, that other non-superhuman people might. <laughs> some some people uh, lose their ability to think clearly. Right. Some people notice incoordination. Or Fast. if you're Kevin, you don't start with the. Think uh, ability to think clearly, so yeah. you Fast. also don't present any symptoms. But, yes, but the most fascinating that. people were the ones in the chamber who became belligerent, and so <laughs> that's a symptom. The, the Joe, guy, the guy you running have hypoxia, <laughs> so constantly, so the all op- the time. The operator running the chamber would say, "So is it possible that this anger you're experiencing might be your hypoxic symptom?" No, it's not. Fuck off. Good to know. I've met that guy at a bar. And so what about... (laughs) The worst part of the decompression training was the smell of the chamber after we were repressurizing because, of course, your guts are full of air. Yes. And it has only one way to get out. Ooh. And it does. Well, that's the the shortest way, maybe. That's the shortest way, yeah. So this kind of training... Like makes your body into like a giant whoopee cushion? No, it makes you fart, yeah. 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 Right, it just squeezes the fart right out of you. No, what happens is the air expands because the pressure's dropping, uh-huh. but your intestines maintain their size, so it goes out the nearest exit. All right, okay. Right. So it's uncontrolled space farts. Uncontrolled space farts. It's, yeah, it's constantly right. trying to keep the pressure even everywhere that it's open to, and it's slightly open. <clears throat> so it's not squeezing your body, yeah. it's like sucking them out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. space. Oh, it's not, yeah, yeah. Pressure it's, differential, yeah. Space puts its mouth on your sphincter. <laughs> <laughs> the gas itself is expanding because there's no pressure constraining it, and yeah. gas will expand, right? right? Okay. And so it just, just like a CO2. Oh, so, uh, so it wasn't a lot of... <laughs> oh, there was plenty of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was one of the silent but deadly kind, but I guess. Like in the, space, no one can hear you fart. <laughs> so, but in a decompression chamber, not so much. Yeah. If you survive explosive decompression, there are aspects of it that are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, silver lining. 
pretty good fart sounds. Another effect of especially long-term exposure to space, uh, as long as you're, you know, you've got your oxygen and you're protected from uh, the other stuff, is uh, microgravity actually has effects on the human body. Uh, one of the major effects of long-term weightlessness involves the loss of both bone and muscle mass. Uh, without the effect of gravity, skeletal muscle is no longer required to maintain posture, and the muscle groups used in moving around in a weightless environment differ from those required in terrestrial locomotion. So basically, your body's got a lot of muscles that kind of keep you standing, keep you from tipping over, uh, keep you, you know, upright. Yeah. Extensors. So, right. And when you're in space, they don't get any work because you're upright just fine with no, uh, with no gravity. In a, in As a, dramatized in the movie Wally. <laughs> yeah, those chairs. Oh right, all those they, all those fat guys. They yeah. had anti gravity though. They were just lazy. Had, uh, I think they were just gravity. lazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was the chairs, which, by the way, way too many people have said, "Man, I can't wait till we get those chairs." <laughs> um, like, did you not? It was a warning. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. In a weightless environment, astronauts put almost no weight on their back muscles or leg muscles used for standing up, and those muscles start to weaken and eventually get smaller. Get this, astronauts can lose up to 25% of their muscle mass on long flights. So like, how, but what, is, what constitutes a long flight? Like for me, that five and a half hours to New York is brutal. No. Uh, for me, it's the waiting to get on the space shuttle. Oh my God, just get it over with. The lineup. Can I go to space already? Why is there such a lineup? Oh yeah, space. Uh, I actually so don't have the... All the sexy aliens the, uh, are up there. <laughs> I don't have the. Uh, there's. I couldn't find a graph of how much you lose over time, and right. it's up to 25 percent. Some people yeah. experience less. They've got a few ways of of trying to combat it. Uh, let me go into the bone loss first, because both of them uh, work on this. There's also bone loss, which is called spaceflight osteopenia. I hope I said that right. Uh, which refers to the bone loss from spaceflight. Astronauts lose an average of more than one percent bone mass per month in space. Oh. Up to three. Uh, so up, up to, to up three, so up to up three, to 3%, and, then, and yeah. then they stop losing it. Is that how it works? We don't know. So oh. do yeah. So let's find out how long it takes for you person to have no bones. Where's yeah. that experiment? Yeah. What well, what could possibly go wrong? There is concern that long during duration that long duration flights, excessive bone loss, and the associated increase in serum calcium ion levels will interfere with execution of mission tasks and result in irreversible skeletal damage. So yeah, they they rotate people out pretty quickly. And the other, there's a few other worries as well. One is kidney stones because you've got a lot of calcium in your blood now and your, your kidneys are trying to manage all of this. How's, how's so the can, calcium getting into my blood? Oh, cause it's, it's leaching out of your bones. your bones. Okay. Yeah. You, you basically, when you go into space, there's no more gravity and you piss out your bones. Good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's a whole, Finally. that's a whole new kind of boner that I'm not a fan of. Not <laughs> a fan of. And you notice on long duration missions, say six months or more when the astronauts come down, they typically need to be carried because they're yep. weak and their bones are weak. So everybody that wants to go to Mars is probably going to be physically incapacitated when the vehicle reaches the surface after a 180-day transit or longer. That's why right. we need friendly androids. Well, or different countermeasures. Uh, the current countermeasures include exercise and calcium supplements, which probably also don't help with the kidney stones. Mm. Here, and they suck. Yeah. Mm. There are a couple of theoretical uh, solutions, ones that are typically used to treat osteoporosis uh, on Earth, such as hormone therapy, uh, estrogen or progestin, selective estrogen receptor modulators, bisphosphonates. Can you say, can you say, the, can you say you. the electromodulators? Can you say that in Martian the Marvel? voice selective estrogen receptor modulators <laughs> that sounds Thank about you. right Thank you. excellent uh, 
You know what What I predict is going to happen? Word's going to get out about this, and then when they get that uh, space travel going on the Virgin uh, Galactic, mm-hmm. fad diet. <laughs> Just go on an extra long Virgin Galactic <laughs> flight and Sadly. shed some bone mass. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come back down a little bit lighter than when you left. Huh? How do I look? You, you look the same. You're still <laughs> overweight. I lost 2% of my bone mass. <laughs> Another effect, speaking of uh, boners, is fluid redistribution. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Within a few moments of entering a microgravity environment, fluid is immediately redistributed to the upper body, resulting in bulging neck veins, puffy face, and sinus and nasal congestion, which can last throughout the duration of the trip and is very much like the symptoms of the common cold. Yeah, I read a book called How Do Do You Go to the Bathroom in Space? And the Mm -hmm. author of that, an astronaut, called it Space Crud. When you yeah. just when your sciences are just sinuses are just filled with crud, crud, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah you can just imagine your gravity is constantly pulling down on everything in your body, including the liquid, and of course your body evolved to exist in that, so it makes it so that under that gravity the fluid goes where it needs to go. Remove that gravity, and it just kind of pools up here. So we just need to put people in space long enough for them to evolve to adapt to the environment. Sure. So twenty, thirty thousand years. That'll do it. Uh week? A week? Week week and a half? Come on. We're we're like we're in the it's the internet age, Dr. Rob. Like things are happening way faster. That's what everybody tells me these days. So we've got this here. Hold on. Which uh shows off the on the ground, the initial stage. After a while you adapt and uh immediately after returning the uh, fluid levels go to different to to the proper levels. I like the initial stage in space because it looks like Mr. Incredible. <laughs> And this is another issue. Uh, one thing they don't mention is the orthostatic intolerance. After orthostatic like, intolerance. Yeah, it's oh, the ability to, inability to tolerate being upright after you get back into a gravity environment. So this is another issue the Martian astronauts will have to face. They'll have right. wasted bones, wasted muscles, and they won't be able to stand up because of weakness and the inability to tolerate standing up without fainting because, oh, of, okay. because their, their blood pressure has remodulated yeah. for a microgravity environment. Ah. I wonder... Now, how, what the difference in gravity is on Mars, though, how big that would be a problem compared to how big it is on Earth? Good question. We don't know. It's about 35% of Earth gravity. It may still be enough to right. um, provoke uh, orthostatic intolerance. Yeah. And then they have to deal with those uh, walkers that we saw in H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. And also those multi-armed guys <laughs> I you meant, from John I thought Carter. You made it because they were weak, so they <laughs> yeah. were using the old person walkers. They should like, make those, and they should make them look like H.G. Wells' Maybe that's why, that's why the Martians have walkers, <laughs> because go. they just can't exist in their own microgravity for some reason. Yeah, uh, astronauts can lose 20, up to 22% of their blood volume while in space, which is the, uh, the cause of that lightheadedness. They can stand for about 10 seconds, and then they're screwed. All right, uh, so what's the solution to this? That's a good question. Yeah. We they don't, don't have, have one, one yet? No. Nope. All right. Uh, so anyone who signed up for... Treat uh, Earth better <laughs> so we don't have to leave. <laughs> so we're going to run out of something eventually. <laughs> so for those of you who signed up for that mission to Mars, just, just so you know, this is, these are some of the things you might be in for if you're the lucky person who gets selected. Mm-hmm. I, I have one last awesome little one. Uh, just odd. Very odd. After two months in space, in zero gravity, uh. calluses on the bottoms of your, bottom of your feet... Molt and fall off from lack of use, leaving soft new skin. Oh, oh. see so the bottom of your feet like a little baby bottom. Yes. Yeah. Tops of the feet become, by contrast, raw and painfully sensitive. No. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't understand either. So All if right. you're a hobbit, do not go into space. 
Not recommended. Yeah, that hair would just start itching against it, just curving, like when you grow the beard at that certain length and your face is on fire. So space, uh, a natural pedicure. Exactly. Just take two months. It's a little bit longer than a typical yeah, pedicure. Yeah. <laughs> Cost is maybe a little bit higher. You know, I think we're going to have to research this, though. Can, can we go get a caustic soda pedicure sometime together? <laughs> Write it off as research? I say yes. Yes. You, it sounds like you've had this one chambered, Joe. I've been plotting this for quite some time. Let's do it. That'll be our next outing. The pedicure episode. We're going to get pedicures, talk about them. You know, it's never going to get uploaded. <laughs> or will it? Well, should we move to history then? Yeah. All right. I'd like to talk about 1971, the Soyuz 11. Soyuz is Russian for Union. The first and only manned mission to board the world's first space station, Salyut 1. The Soyuz spacecraft's mission was to dock with the world's first space station. Upon first entering the station, the crew entered a smoky and burnt atmosphere, and after replacing part of the ventilation system, spent the next day back in their Soyuz capsule until the air cleared. A fire broke out on day 11, causing mission planners to consider abandoning the station. These three men spent 24 days in space. During re-entry, explosive bolts misfired, which caused a pressure equalization valve to loosen. The valve opened at 168 kilometer, that's 104 miles altitude. Mm Mm-hmm. The valve was located beneath the seats and was impossible to find and block before the air was lost. Flight recorder data from the single cosmonaut outfitted with biomedical sensors showed cardiac arrest occurred within 40 seconds of pressure loss. By 935 seconds after the retrofire, the cabin pressure was zero and remained there until the capsule entered the Earth's atmosphere. Support crews attempted CPR on the cosmonauts. It was not known until an autopsy that they had died because of the capsule depressurization. Oh, so they got on the ground. Everyone's unconscious, so they're just trying to revive them, not realizing that it's a lost cause. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> they did. They real did. <laughs> this accident resulted in the only human deaths to occur in space as opposed to high atmosphere. The crew members aboard Soyuz 11 were Vladislav Volkov, Yorgi Dobrovolovsky and Viktor Patsyev. This crew was actually the backup crew. Oh. Because uh, a medical x-ray examination four days before launch suggested that one of the original crew might have tuberculosis, and according to mission rules, the prime crew was replaced. Wow. TB? Yeah. TB. Oh, those are Russians. Call back to a tuberculosis episode. <laughs> in 1971 in Russia. Wow. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You got the, you're the backup crew and you get the call, right? Like, you, this is like being the understudy on Broadway, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. Going, oh, I'm behind Bette Midler. She hasn't one missed of, a show in ages. It's one of the few times in the world you can actually go, yes, tuberculosis. Yeah. <laughs> so they're sitting there thinking that they're on top of the world. Literally. literally. And, uh, and then lo and behold... Explosive decompression. Mm-hmm. Bad luck. Mm-hmm. That'll learn him. Yeah. There's a TV guy. Loosened a nut. I'll show him. Really? Was he twirling? Was <laughs> he, conspiracy. Did he feel like he was twirling his like, overly those, evil those, mustache at the same and, time? With a bit of a cough. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big mustache, too, because he was Russian. Do you want to talk about uh, Vostok, Vostok in 1961? 1961, the Vostok 2. Cosmonaut Titov orbited the Earth 17 times... And this was the first reported case of space sickness, also known as space adaptation syndrome. As with C- or SAS. Or SAS. 
<laughs> As with seasickness and car sickness, space motion sickness symptoms can include headaches, disorientation, nausea, and vomiting, which would be an unattractive proposition in zero gravity. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, about half of sufferers experience mild symptoms. Only around 10% suffer severely. And in most cases, symptoms last from two to four days. I guess of being in space. Right. I'm guessing you come back down and you're fine or you're so dehydrated that you croak or you know uh, you just wish for death yeah right so we've got the uh, what was it was it garn garn senator garn yeah. senator garn but titov was the first right well about half of all astronauts actually suffer space motion sickness and there's no way to predict it you ne- you can't tell it's like seasickness yeah hmm. so people who get car sick that doesn't predict it people who don't doesn't get doesn't predict it you're either going to get it or you're not it's basically wow. a coin toss and if you get it there's a 10% chance of it being severe and untreatable. There's another thing to think about on that trip to Mars. Yeah. Wow. Have you yeah. ever gone up? Uh, you've never gone up into space, but how high have you gone? How high do airliners go? Oh. Mm. Yeah, how many garns did you suffer? <laughs> Zero. I'm not really a garn kind of guy. No. At least not in airliners. All right. Garn it. Garn it all. <laughs> uh, first groan of the show. It wasn't it was me. It was <laughs> yeah. What do you suppose happened to all of garn's debris? Uh, it wouldn't, I would hesitate to even contemplate Bug Garn's Debris. It would form a big ball of vomit in front of his yeah, face. Oh, yeah. Mm. Man, but if it touched you, it, like, it would just start oozing along and covering up whatever. It, Capillary action. Well, it, yeah, I guess stuff. it would depend on how, how much force you had in the vomiting. Like if it was projectile vomit. True, it would form it a ball over there. Ball yeah. over there, yeah. Well, you hit, could aim it. That would keep going. It would hit the wall or ceiling or whatever you call the... Thing that doesn't have an up. The bulkhead. The bulkhead, thank you. And then just spread out over that. Yeah. It, so it wouldn't like hit and turn into like all sorts of tiny little globulates? Some of it would, but some of it would probably stick to that bu- mm-hmm. bulkhead so and the, then start spreading out, right? What's the surface tension of vomit compared to the surface tension of water? We're going to have to do some experiments. <laughs> <laughs> if I had the brains, here's what I'd do.
in the news. Ding. April 2013. There is now so much debris in orbit that the space environment is close to a cascade of collisions that would make space extremely hazardous. See, cascade doesn't sound so bad. I mean, collision doesn't sound good, but cascade of cascade, collisions, oh. kind of that's a that's a PR man at work right it's there. It's like a ballet of collisions. <laughs> Uh, NASA estimates that there are more than 500,000 pieces of hazardous space debris orbiting Earth. Objects 10 centimeters and larger are trackable with radar, but there are tens of thousands more pieces that are smaller and move unseen. Little All ninja right. pieces. Yes, uh-huh. ninja debris. They'll kill you before you even know they're there. Fragments as small as a single centimeter have the potential to destroy whole satellites because of the speed at which they are traveling. Mm. High impact velocities can reach 15 kilometers per second for space debris and 72 kilometers per second for meteoroids. All right. Being hit by a sugar cube of space debris could be the equivalent of standing next to an exploding hand grenade. Well, see, this is the oh. problem. They should be using spoonable sugar in space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. they're not dropping those cubes Those little out. packets. Uh. Yeah, but then the spoonable kind just drifts into the electronics and shorts. Being hit by uh. a spoon of debris is like... Oh, I have nothing oh, yeah. for that. <laughs> the effects of hypervelocity impacts are a function of projectile and target material, impact velocity, incident angle, and the mass and shape of the projectile. Space debris includes defunct satellites, explosive bolts, spent upper stage rockets, fragments from explosions in fuel tanks and batteries, the glove that Ed White dropped in 1965 as as he became the first American to walk in space, and the toolkit that slipped from Heidi Stefanishin Piper's hand during, during a 2008 spacewalk. Some of these objects re-enter the atmosphere and burn up, but most are still up there. So what's the solution? Well, Professor Heiner Klinkrad, the head of the European Space Agency's Space Debris Office. Yes, there is a Space Debris Office. With a name like that, he must be smart. Or the commandant of some kind of prison camp. Yeah. (laughs) He says, the present orbit debris environment is at the rim of becoming unstable within a few decades. A phenomenon that is known commonly as the Kessler Syndrome. <laughs> Only active removal of five to ten large objects per year can reverse the debris growth. All right. Wow. Okay. If you're going to do his accent, you have to say debris the way he would say <laughs> oh, it. damn it. <laughs> you're right. Active debris removal would see new spacecraft launched specifically to take other redundant satellites out of orbit. And the sixth European Conference on Space Debris. Thank you. Yes, there have been six of them. Was presented with an array of concepts that included the use of nets. Okay. Harpoons. Oh, that sounds awesome. Ion thrusters. Although, if the if if. A sugar cube-sized piece of debris is problematic. <laughs> it's How a tiny, tiny harpoon. Yeah, it's like needle and thread kind of stuff. I'm envisioning the least macho whale harpooner ever <laughs> out at the front of his space boat <laughs> holding a tiny, <laughs> tiny needle of a harpoon. <laughs> Think, click, and wondering why he couldn't just reach out and grab. <laughs> Those things go fast. Did you not hear? Sugar cube sized. Damage. Oh, so he's a really fast heart. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. That's pretty macho. It's gonna, yeah, it's true. It's true. You got to be quick. You don't have to be strong. You have to be quick. Yeah. Also, lasers. 
Oh, Again damn. With I the just lasers. found out something cooler than harpoons. And it also says here tentacles. So I assume that means space squid, right? Yes. Ooh. Tentacles. That's what it says. If we just, uh, like, we're, what are we going to do? We're going to uh, genetically modify some squids so that they can live in, yeah. in orbit and space they squid. are going to eat. Space squid are our friends. <laughs> we have to awake the old ones. Ah, there you go. So what we're really talking about, we're talking about uh, space garbage men. Space garbage men, yes. So mm. when the stars are right. Garbage women, garbage persons. Uh, oh, there yeah, you go. Sanitation engineers. When, when the stars are right actually means when all the space debris is out of the way. Yes. <laughs> so that the old ones can return yeah. to the Earth. Uh, they have their, uh, their million armed servants out there. Let us return to Earth and destroy all these humans. But there's a bunch of stuff in the way. Wait till they clean that up. <laughs> Roar. <laughs> the Deutsche Zentrum für Luft und Raumfahrt. Who knows, what, who knows what the translation is there? Uh, I don't know, but it has something to do with, uh, you know, sneaky space farts, I'm Boy. guessing. <laughs> the German Center for Air and Space Travel. Oh. Space travel is yeah. Raumfahrt? Raumfahrt. Well, I knew that Raum was space because of Raumschiff Null. Yes, the Spaceship German Zero. version of Spaceship Zero. Yeah. I think the Germans have a rocket propulsion all wrong. <laughs> I, think pro- I think they might be going little, down the road there. A little gassy there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they are developing a project that would use a robotic arm to, among other things, capture a tumbling object in space. Now, there are a myriad legal issues that frustrate attempts to clean up space. For example, international law permits only the launching nation or agency to touch an object in orbit, something that would prevent commercial debris removal activities. Right, and, and that law was created so that you couldn't like shoot down other people's satellites yes. and like, take them out for malicious purposes or whatever. I got it. I got it. But now it's creating a uh, bureaucratic snafu. Exactly. I love that they went as far as to say touch. You know, da da da, hands off. And I wonder <laughs> if like there's one nation who's like, ah, <laughs> I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't touch it. This is where the laser solution would be. Oh, there you go. Uh-huh. Can you touch something with a laser? I submit that you cannot. <laughs> uh, so far, there have only been a handful of major collisions in orbit re- involving the largest objects. Perhaps the best known was the 2009 impact between the defunct Russian Cosmos 2251 spacecraft and the American Iridium-33 satellite. The collision occurred at a speed of over 42,000 kilometers per hour and produced over 2,000 trackable fragments, many of which continued to pose a threat to operational missions, as Dr. Rob suggested with the International Space Station having to move about to get out of the way of these things. And in 2007, the Chinese destroyed one of their own satellites with a missile to show the West that China had anti-satellite capability it left a cloud of debris containing 3,000 trackable particles. Uh, this, Thanks, sounds like, this sounds like the satellite version of like, why are you punching yourself? Why are you punching yourself, China? Or why the, are you blowing up your own satellites, China? It's that drunk asshole at a club who smashes a bottle over his own head to show that he means business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blood's pouring down his face. Huh? Huh? Yeah. See? Don't fuck with me. Yeah, no kidding. I'm crazy. Well, Jump. they better send some Tychonauts to clean that up. Exactly. January 2013, galactic cosmic radiation poses a significant threat to future astronauts, according to a new study in journal PLOS One. The possibility that radiation exposure in space may give rise to health problems such as cancer has long been recognized. However, the study shows for the first time that exposure to radiation levels equivalent to a mission to Mars could produce cognitive problems and speed up changes in the brain that are associated with Alzheimer's disease. Oh. Oh. 
Once astronauts leave the Earth's protective magnetic field, they are exposed to a constant shower of various radioactive particles. With appropriate warning, astronauts can be shielded from dangerous radiation associated with solar flares, which is a callback to the Sun episode. But there are other forms of cosmic radiation that cannot be effectively blocked. The longer an astronaut is in deep space, the greater the exposure. This is a concern for NASA as the agency is planning manned missions to a distant asteroid and a round trip to Mars that could take as long as three years. Uh, previous studies have demonstrated the potential cancer, cardiovascular, and musculoskeletal impact of galactic cosmi cosmic radiation. The new study examines the potential impact of space radiation on neurodegeneration, in particular the biological processes in the brain that contribute to the development of Alzheimer's disease. So basically, uh, you've got, you send these super smart astronaut guys who've mm -hmm. trained for decades to like figure out how to do all this stuff right. on a mission to Mars, yep. and when they get there, mm -hmm. they don't know why they're there. Sorry, wait, yeah. what, what, are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> And You're they can't stand up. Yeah. <laughs> How do we open the door again? Uh, yeah. The researchers studied the impact of a particular form of radiation called high-mass, high-charged particles, or HZE. Z. The, the Z stands for uh, atomic uh, number. the atomic number. Oh. Right? So normally, most if, when you think of most radiations, it's a single particle hitting something, right? Whether right. it's a, a proton or a neutron or something like that. Uh, the, these HZEs are basically atoms that have no electrons that are just zooming through space so you could have an hze with a mass of 26 which would be like an iron particle right so instead of like one particle you've got 26 particles all in one big clump hitting you so it's quite a bit different for this study the researchers chose iron particles as i mentioned unlikely hydrogen protons uh, which are produced by solar flares the massive hze particles like iron combined with their speed enable them to penetrate solid objects such as the wall and protective shielding of a spacecraft it is incredibly difficult to build a shield against these. You would have to essentially wrap a spacecraft in a six-foot block of lead or concrete. I could do that. I bet you Captain America's shield would do it. Same <laughs> Captain <Yes>. America. <laughs> Make it out of space debris. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. But only the direction he's holding two, it. Two birds, one stone. Yeah. The researchers study the impact on animal models of Alzheimer's disease. These particular models have been extensively studied, and scientists understand the precise time frame in which the disease progresses over time. At the NASA Space Radiation Laboratory in Long Island, animals were exposed to various doses of radiation. Take of that. Well, hold on a second. Yeah. So you're, you're doing Alzheimer's experiments with animals. Yeah. What the hell do they remember? I mean, they're pretty much, <laughs> every day is like a reset button for most dogs and cats, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, right? I think they teach them, basically they teach a rat a maze. Okay. And it, once it knows the maze, then they see how much they have to blast it for it to forget. I assume okay. whenever I come home from being in the store for five minutes and my dog's super excited to see me, like he hasn't seen me for years, right. that's, that's doggy Alzheimer's. Mice exposed to this radiation were far more likely to fail tasks, including recalling objects or locations, suggesting neurological impairment earlier than these symptoms would typically appear. The brains of the mice also showed signs of vascular alterations and a greater than normal accumulation of beta amyloid, the protein plaque that accumulates in the brain and is one of the hallmarks of the disease. Oh, brain oh. plaque. Brain plaque. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing. So who hangs the sign on your brain? Not that kind of a plaque, you dummy. <laughs> It's like the plaque on your teeth. It's a buildup. This is what you get right. for saying Debris over and over again. Uh, you yeah, unleash uh, the wall of Leeson. Uh -huh. Yeah, let's do pop culture. Yeah. Before we get into the various... Uh, I put space madness in the pop culture section because, as we'll learn, it's not really a real thing. Yeah. Okay. So, but, we can, but it has some interesting historical aspects as well. So when astronauts first began flying in space, NASA was worried about space madness. <laughs> 
a mental malady they thought might arise from humans experiencing microgravity and claustrophobic isolation inside of a cramped spacecraft high above the Earth. Right, because science fiction writers had taught them that. Their mantra was, if science fiction has taught me anything, space madness exists. Exactly. You can see Uh why the story works that way, right? We're going to send the best of the best up to space. They've all been completely psychologically tested. They're at the peak. They are the ultimate humans. But space! Oh, shit, we need a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Space madness. In fact, astronauts have proved to be highly professional and level-headed in even the most life-threatening scenarios. Gemini 7 was an endurance test for the two astronauts on board. They had nothing to do for the last few days of the mission, and the cabin of the spacecraft was the size of the front seat of most automobiles. Uh-huh. Uh, and some Russian cosmonauts were on Mir for more than a year with only two crewmates for company. So even without space madness, you just kind of have... Space boredom? Space boredom and then space, I'm sick of you. Now, what about... There's been some space depression. Space depression? Mm, uh, Yeah, Cosmonaut was deorbited because of... Deorbited, that means they took him down. Right. That Uh, doesn't mean they threw him into space. No. no. Okay. No, that would be orbiting. Orbiting. Yeah. I guess so. (laughs) And there may have also been some space alcoholism. Ooh. Tell me more. Well, the moist towelettes aren't just for wiping your hands if you're (laughs) really thirsty. Wow. You just suck on the moist towelettes. And it's lemony fresh. (laughs) Nice. Um, The amount and quality of sleep experienced in space is poor due to highly variable variable light and dark cycles on flight decks and poor illumination during daytime hours in a spacecraft. Disturbances in circadian rhythm have profound effects on the neurobehavioral responses of crew and aggravate the psychological stresses they already experience. Sleep is disturbed on the International Space Station regularly due to mission demands, such as scheduling of incoming and departing space vehicles. Sound levels in the station are unavoidably high because fans are required at all times to allow processing of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And 50% of space shuttle astronauts take sleeping pills and still get two hours or less of sleep. Wow. wow. Space insomnia. I could not <laughs> be an astronaut. Two hours. Wow. Yeah, that's... Uh That's an endurance test right Mm -hmm. there. The European Space Agency locked six people in a mock spaceship. I'd like to imagine what that looks like. Probably just a room. I like the fact there was alliteration. They locked them in a mock. There's a lock mock. Lock mock? That's Mm -hmm. not alliteration. That's That's rhyme. Oh, damn it. (laughs) They locked them in there for over 500 days as an experiment to see how people would cope with a trip to Mars and back. 500 days? 500 days. Who volunteered for this? <laughs> oh, no, you want? The no, there were no volunteers. It was Shanghai. Oh, yeah. It was like, <laughs> let me out of here. Really You'll notice Torrin didn't give their names. Yeah. <laughs> Naturally, they still had gravity, but the communications delays and isolation from Earth were simulated reasonably well. They emerged unscathed, though they were certainly happy to be out. Mm. Yeah. So that's... Oh, and also... Ed White, this is the guy who lost his glove. Uh huh. Not the one that was on his hand, but he just had a spare glove, I guess, that left the airlock at the same time that he did. You know, okay. he took it out to, uh, just in case he had to do, uh, challenge <laughs> any aliens to a, to duel, a duel, right? Yeah. Smack, smack. I gotta bring right? my dueling glove. You never <laughs> yeah. know what happens out in yeah. space. Yeah, exactly. He was the pilot of Gemini 4 and became the first American to make a walk in space. He found the experience so exhilarating that he was reluctant to terminate the EVA at the allotted time and had to be ordered back into the spacecraft. But NASA had the last laugh when they burned him to death in Apollo 1. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that was a form of space madness. He's like, I'm never going back. The sun is calling me. Oh, right. Well, this would be a good time to talk about sunshine then. 
Oh yeah, well we've spoke we spoke about this uh, movie during our son episode, uh, and uh, I'm not a big fan of it. But there is definitely lots of space madness. Guy goes crazy, starts killing everybody, exposes himself to the sun, like burns his own skin off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. But uh, can't say it's a good movie. Do not approve. It's one of the handful of Danny Boyle flicks that I give a thumbs down to. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there's, I have one quote from uh, there's um, one of the severe Space Madness episodes on that is that a guy says, mankind was not meant to tamper in the domain of God. Die. Uh-huh. That yeah. was the, so that, I think I was classified as Space Madness. Wow, yeah. 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 He sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there also a bad Space is Cold example in that? In uh, Sunshine? Yeah. When performing a dangerous jump across space from one spaceship to another, crew members wrapped themselves in the ship's insulation. All of them were shivering, and only one had developed frostbite, frostbite from the time in space. But there was also a guy whose body shattered when he struck part of the ship. Yeah, and weren't yeah. they close to the sun for this? Yes, yeah, they were very close to the so, sun. So that's completely that's wrong. That's bad yeah. yeah. Boo. 2011's Love. Has anyone else seen this movie? Love? Love? No. I am amazed that Torrin has watched a movie called Love. I Uh did. It's from 2011. The director was William Eubank. He was also the writer and the cinematographer. It was created by the alt-rock band Angels and Airwaves. Oh, okay. Has anyone heard of that band, Angels and Airwaves? I've heard of. I don't Uh think I could tell you what their songs are. It was produced and scored. By yeah. that band. Perhaps mm-hmm. the title was just simply uh, The Power of Suggestion. <laughs> They're simply like, you are going to love this movie. Well, according to the write-up, love portrays the personal psychological effects of isolation and loneliness when an astronaut becomes stranded in space and through this emphasizes the importance of human connection and love. I will say, having watched this, it does portray the personal psychological effects of isolation and loneliness, but I didn't really get the love connection so much. Okay. So basically, there's a guy. He's the only one in the space station. Nuclear war breaks out, and he's stranded in space, presumably forever. Okay, uh, this is a one good of the, premise. It is a I good like, premise. I like that premise. The problem is, it starts out where you're not sure what's going, what's real, and what's oh, that he's hallucinating. Hallucination. He's crazy. Oh. It starts out with this civil war episode. Okay, like so, the U.S. civil war. Yeah. Oh. Like old timey, <laughs> old timey. It looks great. It looks fantastic, uh, but it. I just didn't get it. Okay, because you couldn't tell. Like the synopsis says that there was a nuclear war. Yeah, but when you're watching the movie and you see he's looking outside of the window and all these uh, explosions. explosions, and then the power goes out. Right. I wasn't sure if that was a hallucination or not because by that time in the movie, okay. you have no idea what's real and what's not real. And maybe that was their effect, but I didn't. I didn't appreciate it. That's uh, okay. shoddy storytelling. Yeah. But it did look good. There's a real experience, kind of, sort of, something like that, that's documented in the documentary The Man Who Fell to Earth. Polyakov, who did a long-duration space flight on Mir, was launched by the Soviet Union and parachuted back down into the Commonwealth of Independent States. So it sort of documents the readjustments that he goes through after this violent political disruption. What about Dark Star? Who else has seen Dark Star? Yeah. (laughs) We got some fans? Wow. This is from 1974. In the 22nd century, mankind has begun colonizing the far reaches of the universe. Armed with artificially intelligent bombs, the scout ship Dark Star and its crew have been alone in space for 20 years on a mission to destroy unstable planets which might threaten future colonization. Oh, okay. Wow. They're sent out on a mission of genocide. 
Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> One <laughs> assumes right. that the planets aren't habited. Okay. That they're just in a deviant orbit that would, yeah. you know, that would prevent colonization or whatever. So they want to get them out of the way, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't okay. really make any sense. No, that's not really the point of the movie. <laughs> okay. All right. These are, it makes even less sense. These are planets that are going to spin off their orbit, crash into their stars, and cause supernovas. There you go. Does that make sense? Does no. that actually no. happen? <laughs> not, All right, okay. That's bad no. science, right? Like, not even really. But they don't bomb inhabited planets. All right. This was described as waiting for Godot in space. Director John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon wrote the screenplay. Six years later, the basic beach ball with claws subplot of the film was reworked from comedy to horror and became the basis for which O'Bannon scripted science fiction horror classic? Alien is the correct answer, Ah. person in the audience. And so these guys don't really have like any crazy outbreaks. I mean, there's a lot of kind of slapstick fighting and stuff like yeah. that but they all have they mostly have big bushy beards yeah. there's one guy who just stays in the observation deck and looks at the stars it's completely like harmless space madness yeah it's, one of the characters forgets yeah. his first name <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> and it's uh, one of my favorite movies I think we talked about it before it was like one of the big inspirations to uh, Spaceship Zero which mm. was an album and role playing game by myself and Warren Banks uh, which was uh, also had a lot of space hazards in it alright and Dan O'Bannon, in, in, in an interview, when asked to compare Alien once with Dark Star, said, well, essentially Dark Star is Alien as a comedy, and I'll leave it to you to judge which one did better in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> it also had that scene where you, from Aliens where you put oh. the hands down and the knife through the fingers kind of thing. That was in Dark Star. That was like the first incarnation. Right. Oh. I, I, I remember Cameron, doing James that Cameron in college, and that was really dumb. <laughs> like, why would I do that? Huh? Well, I why did you do it a second time? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Let's talk about explosive decompression then in uh, uh, movies. Yeah, the brand new Battlestar Galactica series, well, it's not brand new anymore, but it's newer than the old one, has used airlocking so much that it's turned it into a verb. You can airlock someone. You can mm. airlock a person. Uh, Laura Roslin is actually referred by the fans as Madame Airlock because of her fondness for this method of dealing with undesirables. Often it's not even the airlock that's used, but it's the Galactica's launch tubes. Oh, right. So they okay. put them in those big long tubes they launch the Vipers out of. So they just put a person in there and then let them and then get they, sucked out? Yeah, they open up the tube and they just... <laughs> launch a person. <laughs> so it's yep. a fun ride for like a second. Yeah. Yeah, wee! <laughs> and then you're done. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's a fun ride even for that second. <laughs> uh, All right. You could psych yourself out. Can <laughs> okay, look on the bright side. Well, as we described, you I'm have like the best 10 to 15 time. seconds before you lose I mean, consciousness. Ed White might like it. There you go. I'm going to make the best <laughs> of what little time I have left and go wee with the last of my <laughs> oxygen. And they've also had one where they've just killed people in the launch tube and then they just open it up in order to let their bodies go away. Oh, so oh, like that's a bar- killing, execution, and burial in space all at the same time. Yep. Uh, that's yeah. efficient. Handy housekeeping. Yeah. Of course, if they'd known about the shuttle, the blood would coagulate the door then some poor bastard would be out there chipping it off. Yeah. Ew. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. That's also a fun job. That's a make-work project. <laughs> mm. <Maybe> you just <laughs> need a There's, there's got to be a lowest-ranking guy <laughs> on Battlestar Galactica. You know, you never saw his story. You could, if that actually works, if a coagulating blood, you could technically make like an entire spacesuit out of a scab, right? Ooh, scab suit. Yeah. I like it. Uh-huh. Could it be other person's blood? Does it have to be mine? Uh, I would say not. I would recommend against that, actually. Here you go. Here's your gross superhero. The way that he survives in space is by bleeding out, out of his own body, and it <laughs> forms a protective scab around him, and then he flies around and punches people, and when he lands on the planet, it all sloughs off. And oh, nice. Oh. That is a disgusting superhero. His name is Scab. 
Uh-huh. Space mm. scab. He I won't be buying that comic. He also busts strikes. <laughs> strike. Oh, <laughs> scab, scab, scab. <laughs> Uh, takes it very seriously. I also watched Outland recently, which I hadn't seen since the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we all remember the scene. There's several scenes where people's head expo- heads explode yeah. in, yeah. in space uh, due to explosive decompression, which one basically happens in the first scene. Uh, Great no movie. Sp- yeah, there's no space madness, but there is a lot of drug addiction. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's basically like if you haven't seen it for a while, well, something I didn't realize until I rewatched it is basically it's basically high noon oh, in space. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's he, uh, Sean Connery, he's the sheriff. He's the new sheriff. And he basically wants to thwart this drug ring. The corporation is all part of the drug ring. So they don't want him to stop it, but he's going to do his job anyway. Yeah. And so the corporation hires two goons to come and wipe him out. Yeah. So part of the last half of the movie is basically him waiting for these goons to arrive. Everyone on the space station knows that these goons are coming to execute him. And so there's tension, space tension. Uh, uh, there is some space madness. If you remember, after using the drug too much, you go psychotic. And that's why all these heads are exploding. People right. are riding the elevator down to the mines but I would without say that their spacesuits. But that's drug madness as opposed to regular space madness. Mm, mm. Okay, drug. Yeah. Well, okay, comorbid factors. But the funny thing is that you think uh, as you're watching this movie is that everyone uses shotguns on a uh, space station. Uh, it's on IO. It seems like ill-advised is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when these two guys come uh, to kill him, it's basically just waiting for them to shoot their own to kill themselves by shooting out a window, which is what happens to one of them. Oh. Right. Yeah. But after all, it is a corporation that keeps its employees motivated by giving them a psychotogenic drug. That's true. So they don't care I guess that's about true. shotguns that may, that in space. That may be true. So double thumbs up for Outland. It holds up. It's not, I, would, I would recommend watching it if you're into kind of boring, mostly boring, but uh, partially <laughs> exciting uh, space movies. <laughs> that's all the space and movies. And Sean Connery. They should have put that on the cover of the DVD. <laughs> I want to talk about Mission to Mars. All right. Let's hear it. This is from 2000 with Tim Robbins, Gary Sinise, or Sinise, or however you say his name. Sinise. Debris. <laughs> Debris. Yeah. Gary Debris, Don Cheadle, and Connie Nielsen. Yep. So there's meteoroids. Mm-hmm. As the ship enters the Mars orbit, a swarm of meteors collide with it, uh, breaching the hull. The crew works quickly to repair the damage, but the external fuel tanks are overlooked, causing a large leak and later an explosion. And then there's the cold space trope, because after the explosion, they quickly put on spacesuits and maneuver their way to the module orbiting Mars. The only hope of a successful rendezvous with the module is for, uh, what's his face? Woody. To launch himself directly at it using the remainder of his jetpack fuel, carrying a tether from the others. When they reach the module, he is unable to properly land on it and floats helplessly away toward the planet. Connie Nielsen tries to rescue him, but knowing she would run out of fuel before reaching him, Tim Robbins removes his helmet, and his face instantly, instantaneously freezes, and he dies. Yeah, I remember that. This is a terrible movie. Who's seen it? I have seen it. I did, but I have no, almost no memory of this movie. Yeah. That's how bad yeah, That's it always was. a good sign, when <laughs> you don't remember any of the plot points about yeah. a movie like, after you've watched it. Weren't there two terrible Mars movies that year, and like yes. they both kind of merged, merged together in my yeah. head? Like the, Ghosts of Mars was the other one, as I recall, or... Now, if we do discuss Apollo 13, I can bring in the condom humor. What happened in Apollo 13 that was hazardous in space? Well, uh, when they went into the lunar module, and because the command module was dead, 
they had to strictly ration their water to six ounces a day, and they had to constantly wear their condom urinary catheters. So I'm going to pour a glass of water. You tell me when I get to six ounces. <laughs> gurgle, 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 gurgle. You're about there now. Okay, so it's like half. Uh, of a regular restaurant glass of water. Right. Okay. For an entire day. For an entire day. I'm going to enjoy so. this all right now just so. to say, fuck you, astronauts. So not only did they have dehydration, but they didn't have clean flow of urine. And Fred Hayes developed a serious, well, severe case of urinary tract infection. Ooh. Which actually went in up space. in space. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he actually developed pyelonephritis, which is, it means it tracked all the way up into his kidneys. That it, doesn't it, sound good. That's a, no. that's a big infection. That's a huge infection. Yeah, it could have been fatal. And in fact, if he had developed that anyway, they might have had to abort the mission anyway. Oh, right. But there's a chance that he might not have because the water restriction plus right. the, the condom catheter holding the infectious organisms in a reservoir, essentially sort of floating around. You can imagine what urine does in microgravity. Yes, contained, the same thing as vomit. <laughs> yeah, and uh, in space, for reasons we don't understand, bacteria grow about two to three times faster. Really? Than Earth. Oh. Yeah, huh. yeah. And antibiotics are less effective. Ooh. And your own lymphocytes, your white blood cells, are less effective as well. Their effectiveness, in, at least in in vitro samples, in microgravity drops about 90%. Huh. So there have been, wow. been lots of infections in space. And they're worse wow. than uh, Earth infections. Well, that one certainly. Right. Yeah. Wow. Good to know. Now, there's one. We should mention it because we're going to use it for lesser two evils in uh, Alien Resurrection. Alien Resurrection, yes. The death of the terrible alien baby at the end. Yes. What did, I liked did, everything in that movie up to that up point, to that actually. Point, I didn't, but... Well, not everything, but I enjoyed it. Let's continue. Okay. So this was basically in the climax of the movie. Sigourney Weaver was with the alien baby, cuddling with it. Yeah. Then something went horribly wrong. But all I remember is the baby... There was a small hole in the the hull, and the baby got sucked out... Got the, because of the decompression, it got pulled to the small hole in the side of the ship, yep. and it got slowly sucked through the hole. Yeah. Out into space. Out into space. Yeah. Screaming. Writhing. Alien baby-like the entire duration. Yeah. And uh, that sounds like a good time. Which is lead-in. That's what we're going to be using as our evil That's for our lesser of two evils. That's one of the lesser of two evils for our lesser of two evils. That's lesser right. of two evils. Da-na-na-na. All right. So we've already... We've just laid out one half of the lesser of two evils. Right. Explosive decompression through a very small hole yes. that will pull you out into space one tiny portion of your body at a time until you no longer exist. All right? So that's the first half. Now we go to the audience participation section. We've got three suggestions that we've narrowed it down to our three favorites from all the suggestions you folks made. Right. Uh, we have Travel the Camino de la Muerte. This is a callback to our uh, motor, motor vehicle, vehicle accidents. Accident. It's a super long highway in Peru, I think. Yeah. That's like the most dangerous l- road in the world. It actually literally translates to road of death. Yes. Is the name Ooh. of the road. Uh, so it's the most dangerous road in the world. You're taking your life into your hands every time you go on it. I think Joe might be able to put an image up here. It's only got one lane in a lot of the parts, and there's tons of YouTube videos. If you haven't listened to this episode, there's tons of YouTube videos of buses tour buses just slowly sliding off the road and yeah people down enormous chasms uh, that is a uh, certainly not a sure death 
but scary as hell for Suggest- a really long that's time. suggestion number one. That's suggestion number one. Second suggestion is uh, die due to radiation poisoning, mm-hmm. which we all know is terribly horrible. Dr. Rob, can uh, you elucidate how uh, dying from radiation poisoning don't, would... Don't give, don't give us too many spoilers, but yeah. how horrible is it? On a- oh, it could be substantially horrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. If, if it, under particular conditions, which I won't describe at the moment. Right. right. Okay. But this does harken back to the very first Caustic Soda Live... With the demon core. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, uh, and our option third. number two. Option number two. And the third suggestion that we liked was uh, a recent episode uh, being stung to death by wasps and hornets. Yes. That, uh, you know, finding one of those incredibly large hornet's nests that we, we talked about during that episode and having all of those hornets come out and sting you until you perish. Yes. All right. So. So we now, the way we're going to choose this is by audience applause. Okay. So you will choose. So if one of these is yours, clap really loud. <laughs> so uh, travel the Camino de la Muerte. Uh, all those in favor, clap oh. now. Oh, oh, uh, oh. oh we right. got some. Okay, yeah. A couple of half-hearted people who wrote that suggestion. <laughs> <clears throat> Half-heartedly. Uh, death by radiation poisoning. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's okay. A good okay. Okay. Fair number. Stung to death, <laughs> stung to death by wasps and hornets. Ooh, a little more tepid. I, like, I think it's radiation. I think it's radiation. Think it's radiation. Yeah. Who, who suggested radiation? What's okay. your name, sir? Rico. Rico, you have won this watch it grow poop. <laughs> Bring your poop without the mess. Warning, grow poop does not swell, does not smell, sorry, but feel free to add your own stench for the full effect. <laughs> so you've won that. That was uh, $2.49 uh, at the Serious Science and Nature. Shout out to those guys. Or you can take what's in the mystery box. <laughs> the box of mystery. There, oh, well, mystery here's box. Here's the thing. Here's the th- I just want to point out that you can either take the poop or you may get something that could poop on you. <laughs> this is true. I'm just saying. You I'm don't not know what's saying it. it is puppies, <laughs> but I'm not saying it's not puppies. <laughs> I don't know. Knowing Torrin, it might actually be poop. Might. <laughs> 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 have a rather large bowel. Open it up and let's see what you got. <laughs> Wait till the people of the show see this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll describe it handsomely. Uh, it looks like the only one of a kind made caustic soda hoodie, hopefully uh, in your size. With some slight sun damage on one of the shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Rico, for your suggestion. Rico. There you go. I will save the poop for another day. <laughs> All right. So. So I need to cook up the gruesome radiation scenario. Let, let's let's hear some more about uh, radi- dying by radiation poisoning. Yeah, Dr. I mean, Rob. massive doses in excess of uh, 100 sieverts. You'd be unconscious within minutes. That's not much fun. What you really want is the long agonizing death from an exposure about three and a half to four and a half sieverts, okay. which is Wait, let me write this down. <laughs> which is just about invariably fatal. Uh-huh. So you know you're going to die. It, you, what would you get that from, for example? Well, you could get that. Say, um, say you were one of the workers in the Fukushima complex. There were some areas early on where the dose was 400 millisieverts, or sorry, 500 millisieverts per hour. So if you stood there for eight hours, you'd get that kind of a dose. Okay, okay. so if you're on a Fukushima shift, cleaning up the disaster, you, you could get that you much. You forgot your dosimeter. Right. Yeah. 
and just and boy did I ever dosed. or or hey Gary your dosimeter is black oh damn all right all right so black it's is really bad. dark in here and now you're glowing but what ends up happening is your white blood cells start dying okay and then I don't need those anyway you you develop nausea and intense vomiting right and diarrhea all right then the coating of your gastrointestinal tract sloughs 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 uh-huh. and doesn't regrow Okay. Because all the growing cells are dead or stunned. Right. You keep having diarrhea and nausea. Until? And now the blood vessels break down. Infection gets introduced. And you actually die of massive overwhelming infection. Oh, how does oh. that feel? Really awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like you got a pimple so. inside of you. You're one giant pimple. You turn into one a giant pussy pimple. mess. So you, you die slowly of septic shock. How long would it take you to kill you? Two to three weeks. Two to three weeks, a slow septic shock death. And yeah, can... and that's with medical support. If you haven't got you know, medical support, like at least IV fluids, then you would get dehydrated as you die of septic shock. Right. Mm. Brilliant. All right. Well, that sounds like mm. a... Uh, and you know it's coming, and it's inevitable. A, a decent counterpoint to our being sucked out into space through a pinhole? Sucked into space. Which, from what we've learned, not realistic. Not realistic. But for the purposes of this Lesser Tweevils, it's happening. Yeah. But we did see that crab get sucked into that uh, one pipe at one time. Did we show that? Did we... We did not show that. Posts? No. no, but I know, I know not today, but I don't know if we did that in any of our episodes. There, there was a video of a crab who went too close to a pipe way at yeah. the bottom of the ocean. The pipe had a crack in it or was, had a hole in it. Yeah. And this giant crab became nothing. Got right. sucked into the, yeah. <laughs> through a tiny hole. We're, in this. we're doing the space version of but that. But we're, we're not talking about space crabs. No. All right. We're okay. talking about Just us. to clarify. For the purpose of the question, assume you are an invertebrate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Uh, what do you think, Torn? Well, so wh- I guess I, what I need to know is why am I in space? And uh, how long have I been in space? And has it been fun up until that point? <laughs> You're in space because you pushed the wrong button. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, in uh, Dark Star, Sergeant Pinback, this is an interesting uh, point to space madness, the real Sergeant Pinback went crazy and dumped and jumped into, I, I can't remember what it was, but it jumped into this radiation hole or that something like that. That liquid rocket fuel. Liquid rocket fuel. There you go. Thank Bill you. Frug. <laughs> Who became Bill Frug was a liquid on, fuel maintenance yeah, technician. He, put, he was a fuel maintenance technician. Put on Sergeant Pinback's uniform starsuit star suit to save him, and then somehow he ended up on this mission. So he wasn't actually the real Pinback. So I like that situation. I like that I went to save somebody's life. I put okay. on this uniform. I'm now mistakenly in space. And then you. And get, how long have I been there for before I get sucked out? Did I do it right away? Because that may. Yeah. Do, oh, pretty much right away. It's pretty much right away. I don't alien, have time baby, to, alien baby you, speed. I don't have time to enjoy space before I no, get no, something no. goes horribly wrong. So no. it's like the rest of my normal you're, life. You're like yeah. totally busy and also you're incompetent. So you're continuously trying to cover up that you have no yeah. idea what you're, you're doing. You're on pins and needles. Because you push the blue switch instead of the red one. Yeah, you're on oh, pins and needles. Oh, I the whole see time. what you did oh, there. That's even better. You're, you're, you're hoisted on your own pinhole. I made the pinhole yeah, that sucked me out. You made the pinhole that sucked you out into space. But the problem is in Spaceship Zero Prime Universe, only a little tiny crack opened up. That's yeah. how bad you are. You hit the button to open the door, and it just went, and then sucked And now out. I'm being sucked out through the door. Right. Yeah. And I have no protective clothing. It's just me in my, in my jumpsuit. Just you and your weakened body and your fluid redistribution. I can't decide by right now. I need, I, need, I need to hear what okay. you guys have to say. So all that for a pass? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the question. Like, uh, it, the, um, the radiation poisoning part of it, it's yeah. agonizingly painful. Oh, yeah. 
Agonizingly painful. All right. So, but it's longer. It's a longer duration than yeah. the agonizing pain of being sucked through a small hole. You in know space. what I like about the radiation poisoning, and I hope that's the only time I'm going to utter that phrase in the rest of my <laughs> life, is that you have a couple weeks to get your affairs in order. Not that I have a lot of affairs. That's paperwork, though. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but you're weakened and dying in a hospital bed. Yeah, but there's people, no arranging of your affairs. But no, I, what I mean is people can come by and say goodbye, right? You can have uh, oh, that little, kind of affairs. A little heartfelt, like I never liked you moment, <laughs> right? You can sort of like you know, I went, uh, um, uh, I was working at the Fukushima plant trying to do a good thing for the planet, so you can totally play the the the. The martyr card. Oh, oh yeah. I'm going to rub noses in it. Oh, yeah, totally. Before, I'm going, oh, I see what you're doing. I Before totally, I die, yeah. I want to see The Hobbit Part 2. Yeah. Ooh, really? Oh, <laughs> no. then you can make a wish. I'm you can do a worse. make a wish and foundation thing and make it totally just horrible to, for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah. no. I, was, uh, I uh, Well, maybe that's what you would do. But I'm going <laughs> to... I'm just going to go with Lord. So far, that has me leaning towards radiation. Yeah, right no, away. I'm going. I'm definitely leaning towards radiation poisoning just for virtue of the fact that I can stick it to people. Yeah. I think my Make a Wish foundation would have George Lucas come and reenact Star Wars for me. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't do it. Didn't you see him crying the other day oh. about people making make fun a wish. of him? You can't say no to Make a Wish Foundation, Joe. <laughs> would he reenact it with puppies? Puppets? Puppet or puppies? Puppy or dummies? Puppets. Puppy ventriloquist, uh, ventriloquist dummies. <laughs> the all puppy puppet. And I'd Star make him uh, dress up in a Jar Jar costume as well. Ah, yes. And yeah. then I'd have it filmed and put on YouTube. <laughs> this is my make a wish. I'm voting for radiation poisoning. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but now I'm imagining the person being stuck at that hole in space, surviving long enough to make this wish. And he's standing there, bits of him going, <laughs> and he's like, and I want George Lucas to get together. <laughs> and I, ah, I needed that. In space, no one can hear you make a wish. Oh. oh. See, now in the alien resurrection, the creature was sucked out basically through its gut. Yeah. yeah. It was like a hole in its back or something. So yeah. you watched it. Get, so that you, could, you could live for a long enough time, well, assuming you don't go into shock. No, we're right assuming away. that it would be as long as it was in the movie. So like, like 30 a, seconds. Yeah, yeah. 30 seconds max. to a minute. Yeah. yeah. What are you, Dr. Rob? How do you fall down on this equation? Wow. Well, I think I would have to go for the vacuum. And hopefully I would be aware that the vacuum was happening. And I would recall having been on this episode and realize (laughs) that thing's going to suck me out. And I would try to get my mouth over that hole so that I would lose consciousness in 15 seconds. All right. Okay. Oh, so you're aiming your mouth for the space hole. That's it. That's it. (laughs) That's as Freudian as it gets so, in space. <laughs> <laughs> what do you so think your chances of that are, by the way? Also, if you, if you, let's say you're playing a role-playing game, and it was a percentile-based <laughs> role-playing game. Yeah. Oh, that's a 20 on a D20, no gotta, modifiers. Yeah, because, oh, okay. because let's, let's not forget, you're stuck to it. Like, yeah. it's already, you're, I'm, I'm imagining it's your back, so that you've got maximum survival time. Mm. And it's starting to, your intestines are going in. Yeah. And now you want to somehow <laughs> and get your mouth onto that hole, even though I don't think that's happening. I think you have to bend over and kiss your own stomach and hope that it sucks everything through your stomach to get to it. So you're more double zero it's than, quite the than feet. natural 20? I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's possible. I mean, if you can pull your body off of it, you could just get away. But you see, I know it's coming, and so I have just a few seconds. Yeah. But we've what? established that Dr. Rob is superhuman, since he it's does not true. have any uh, right. hypoxia. hypoxia symptoms. Yeah, exactly. So... 
Dr. Rob is going for the quick and easy. Yeah, trying, you, trying. His advantage is that he thinks he can commit suicide. I'm taking the 95% or the 5% no, probability that I can. No, it doesn't really matter. Even if you don't succeed in the 15-second death, you have a one-minute death. So you're going to go quicker no matter right. which way you cut it. I could always tell the doctors I need maximum morphine. You know, if we're saying that I'm going to be on the IV drip and I have medical attention with the radiation poisoning, I could go for max. I could drug me up. But I've been sucked out into space. Right, but I'm saying the alternate. Like, if you're saying you could... No, I'm the doctor. By, oh, yeah. <laughs> Get me Dr. Rob. We've already established that he got sucked out into space. Tell Dr. Rob, I need the morphine. Uh, sad to say. It's very Spaceship Zero-ish, except it's not an explosion, just a massive leak. Mm-hmm. And then they're drifting, dying. You're going to have to reshoot this video. <laughs> Damn it. So... Uh, Joe, I haven't heard a vote yet. I think I'm going, for the, and I again, I say this a few times these days because we've had such good lesser of two evils. I hate that I say this, but I think I go for the decompression just because 30 seconds and I'm gone as opposed to days of horrible pain. Right. Even yeah. though I could maybe get drugged up, you know, and, and get my affairs. I don't have any affairs in order. That's one of the problems <laughs> with my life. <laughs> I tell people how I feel right then and there. <laughs> Did you say yours already? Yeah, I'm rubbing people's noses in it. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And you were waiting for the end. You needed You needed. No, time. I've decided uh, it's going to be the Make-A-Wish Foundation while uh, I'm on my deathbed from radiation poisoning. So we've That's got the to, silver lining right there. the part where I tell you that <laughs> having worked for that foundation, you've got to be a kid. Oh. Wah, wah. <laughs> It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling. An ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new, and we'll have more gross facts for you, and you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while undergoing buckyball therapy. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Or email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. We need to testing one, two, testing, 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 testing. The system is down. The system is down. The system, the system, the system is down, down, down. The system is down. The system, the system, the system is down. Down, down, down.
Now I don't want to stop to find out if the level's good. I just want to keep doing that all night. So I want to get enough of that so we can loop it forever.